Welcome to the First Prez Podcast, which features the message from this past Sunday's worship. Our services are Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9, 10, and 11 o'clock. You can learn more about First Prez at firstprezcos.org. Amen. Good morning, church. You made it. There's, there's a reason why we don't do church at 7.30 in the morning, right? But you made it out here, and uh, welcome, glad you're here. In fact, um, uh, we're just we're excited to see uh, that we're giving this time to the Lord. And, um, and for those who are joining, you know, online, just recognizing right now, hey, I'm missing church. We're glad that you're here and uh, that you can tune in with us. And, um, and just, uh, I just pray that you stay awake during this message. So um, uh, we're continuing in this series on Jesus, looking at the historical life of Jesus, trying to kind of look at the, the main key moments in the life of Jesus. If I were a reporter on the scene, what would I write down? And today we're going to look at the baptism moment where Jesus got baptized by John the Baptist in the River Jordan. So I'm going to encourage you to turn to Matthew chapter 3, and, uh, and we're going to look at verses 11 to 17 together. And as we turn there, let's open our hearts in prayer. Lord, help us. Help us to open our eyes, our hearts, to open our minds to your holy and living word that we can see you, Jesus. We want to see you, that we can know you. We want to know you, that we can know and feel your love this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church said, Amen. Amen. Okay, Matthew 3, verse 11. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand. He will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. How do you react to authority? In your life, do you like the rules or do you resist them? You know, when they tell you you got to do this and that, you know, you don't touch your face, don't touch your, don't touch your neighbor, don't touch your neighbor's face, all that stuff, right? Does that mean I see people? You're just reaching out and touching people right now. You know, make you kind of like sometimes you just bristle at authority, don't you? You don't exactly want to do the thing that they, I usually do okay. Like I usually can find my way within the rules to do what I want to do, you know, but within the limits of the rules. But sometimes we bristle at authority. Some of you have, uh, have kids, or you, you, can, you can imagine that moment when you tell a kid not to do something. You know, when you tell a kid not to do something, do you know what happens? They think, huh, like I never thought about doing that. But now that you mention it, it sounds super interesting, so I think I'm going to try it. 
You know, we bristle. We go exactly the opposite direction. I've got a stoplight at my nearby my house that I regularly use that now has a camera on it. Anybody got a camera on their their stoplight that they're at all the time now? And so I got to tell you, uh, I sometimes I, I pull up to that stoplight, and the light's red, and it's early in the morning, and there's nobody around. You know, there's not a car coming this way. There's not a car, and, and I got to admit. Every now and then, I look up at that camera, and I wonder. I wonder. But I always stop. I always respect authority, because I, I, I'm not going to do that. I don't, want, I don't want you to see your pastor, you know, in the paper. So, we're, we're looking to understand the life of Jesus, the historical life of Jesus. And if you want to understand Jesus in history, if you want to kind of look at his life and say, well, what would, a, what would a reporter write about this? One way to understand the life of Jesus better is to understand the world in which he lived, what was going on in his context in the world in which he lived. And the world in which Jesus lived was this. There is a, an authority, there are rules imposed by an authority that was from the outside. There was a Roman Empire that had come in and taken over and was imposing all these rules on the people of God and on the people of whom Jesus was a part. And they reacted to that. They responded to that authority in all the different ways that you would expect them to. But Jesus, from the start, he had a different way entirely. Jesus, from the start, had a surprising agenda. So, here are four patterns of how people responded to authority. How did the people respond to the authority of the Roman Empire over them? Well, there were four groups, and most of the Jewish people found themselves in one of these four groups. And maybe you've heard of some of these before, but here they are. The first one is the Sadducees. The Sadducees. Now, what did the Sadducees, how did they respond? Their policy was to cooperate. Let's cooperate, and let's get along as much as we can within the limits of the rules. Let's cooperate. And so they wanted to enlist God in that agenda. And so when you go to enlist God in your agenda, you ask God to bless the thing that you've resolved to do. They've resolved to cooperate, and so they say, God, please help us. Please, please get involved in this. Please pacify the people. Keep us calm. The second group was the Pharisees. The Pharisees, their reaction to the authority was resistance. And they wanted to enlist God. They believed that if enough people of God would obey the laws of God, then God would see that and would intervene on their behalf and would toss the Roman power out, you see. And so they wanted to enlist God in that agenda. Say, God, please help us to resist, liberate us. The third group I want to talk about is, is the group that we call the zealots. The zealots. The zealots, these were the revolutionaries. What did they do? They wanted to fight. The zealots were the ones with daggers up their sleeves, okay? Now, they wanted to enlist God on that agenda. Hey, God, I'm going to go fight this Roman authority. And so what I need, the God that I want to enlist in that agenda is the same God who put his hand on David and allowed David to slaughter Goliath with a single stone from a, from a slingshot. God, come on, bless my agenda. Help us to fight empower us. There is a fourth group. They're called the Essenes, the Essenes. And what was their agenda? Their agenda was to withdraw. Let the world go and do whatever the world's going to do. 
Let the world go fall off the edge of the cliff. We're not going to be a part of it. We're going to withdraw. And behind our walls and our spiritual communities out in the countryside, we're going to stay pure and spiritual. And so, God, I want, to, I want you to, to be part of that agenda. They wanted to enlist God in that agenda. God, please keep us separate and pure until we can escape this world. Four groups, four different reactions to authority, four different responses, four choices for God to pick from, right? Hey, God, you could be part of any one of these four teams. Sign up, right? Now along comes John the Baptist. John the Baptist, he's got a little bit of a different vision. He's baptizing in the wilderness by the River Jordan, and he's leading people into this river, and he's talking to them, and something starts to occur to John. John the Baptist, he sees that God is coming. He sees that God's going to come, and when God comes, he's not going to just sign up on one of the four tracks. God's going to come with his own agenda. God's going to come with his own plan. And when God shows up in your life, It isn't about whether or not God is going to bless your agenda. It's about whether you are going to be a part of his. Amen? Now, uh, John baptized in the River Jordan, inviting them to prepare for this, inviting them to turn around, inviting them to humble themselves. John's baptism invited people to change. But John said there's someone else coming with the power to change. A few months ago with some of the people in the church, uh, I had the privilege of wading into the Jordan River myself. Here it is. Well, hey, First Pres, as we continue in the life of Jesus from right here on the banks of the Jordan River, whether this is exactly where John the Baptist was baptizing, I can't tell you. Lots of sites would claim that. But this is the water where people were coming out to, to be baptized and one day... Jesus of Nazareth came out and in front of all the crowd he walked out to John the Baptist and he knelt down in the water of baptism and when he came up they saw a dove descend from heaven, the spirit of God and they even heard a voice from heaven. It would have been something that everybody in the area would remember for the rest of their life. I want you to imagine the reality of this water the taste of it, the feel of it walking across slippery stones out to John the Baptist. This is the life of Jesus, the baptism of Jesus, a baptism that brings us new life. See, this moment, it wasn't just some kind of like spiritual cartoon. It wasn't something, some ethereal, imaginary, legendary thing. There are places where these things happen. There's water in which Jesus waded in, and there's stones, and there's dirt, and there's all that stuff. And we want you to see that as we look at the life of Jesus. So, verse 11, John speaking says, I baptize you right here in this river. I baptize you with water for repentance. I baptize you on the outside. I'm washing you with water. And I'm baptizing you so that you could have a chance to turn around. What's repentance? It's turning around. And John is saying, it's okay. You can turn around now. You don't have to go that way anymore. You can turn around. I'll baptize for repentance. But after me comes one who's more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. See, John knew in the middle of his ministry, even in the most powerful moments, John knew that he was just inviting people to something else. 
He knew that he was just foreshadowing something else. John was just an invitation to a party, and the party was coming. And as much as John was going to say, hey, I'm going to wash you, and I'm going to give you a second chance. I'm going to give you an opportunity. I'm going to challenge you to turn your life. I'm going to invite you to, to be washed off on the outside and to start over anew. As John invites people to repent, Jesus is going to come and empower you to change. John washes on the outside. Jesus purifies on the inside. John, John calls you to change. Jesus empowers you to change. John says there's a possibility of a restart in your life. Jesus says there is a possibility of rebirth and new life. And I want to ask you, which, which baptism are you trying to live? Are you trying to wash everything on the outside? Are you trying to change everything on the outside? Let me tell you, there's, there's not enough hand sanitizer in the world. <laughs> okay? But there's another baptism coming. When Jesus comes into your life, he starts to change you from the inside out, and he washes and he purifies through and through for eternal life. Jesus. John hopes for salvation, but Jesus, Jesus saves. So more powerful than I, John said, he hoped and he waited and he expected and he anticipated and, and he watched and then Jesus came. Verse 13, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But what's John going to say to this? John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? And Jesus replied to that, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. Okay, Jesus came to John. That in itself is a surprising thing. You see, it's John whose, whose ministry is almost wrapping up, and it's Jesus whose ministry is taking off. It's John who knows himself as a forerunner to someone else. It's Jesus who's coming to fulfill all those promises. You would think, if you were writing it yourself, you would think that, that John would go to Jesus. But Jesus came to John. And not only did he come to John, but Jesus asked to be baptized. And John said, no, 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 no. I know, I can see who you are. I've been waiting for you. I've been praying for you. You don't need to be baptized by me. I need to be baptized by you. And John was right. So what's Jesus doing? What's Jesus doing? What is this strange and surprising agenda? John the Baptist saw him, and, and John, who had, had formerly been upset that the Pharisees and the Sadducees and their behavior were not worthy of his baptism, now John is upset that his baptism isn't worthy of Jesus who's before him. He says, I don't deserve to even be here with you. What does Jesus do? God comes down. He comes to us. Jesus comes to John in that moment, and Jesus comes to John with his own agenda. You see? And it surprises John. Here's what I want you to see. Wherever Jesus comes into your life, I think it always comes with some, some level of surprise. Even when you're raised in the church, you kids are being raised in the church in the presence of the Lord. At some point, Jesus is going to turn up in your life in a way that shocks you, that surprises you. 
It's like, I didn't expect that. I didn't expect Jesus to want to do this. I didn't expect Jesus to respond to me that way. There's always some surprise. And when Jesus shows up to John, who was watching, watching, watching for Jesus, John is surprised. And now the question is, will John, will John lay his agenda aside and submit to the surprising agenda of Jesus? What is Jesus' agenda? Well, he leans in close, doesn't he? And in verse 15, he says, John... Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. If your Bible's open, I want you to see in the Gospel of Matthew, these are the very first words Jesus speaks. What is this agenda of Jesus? What is this surprising agenda? What's happening here? If Just pull back again on historical terms. If you're a reporter by the side of the river, what would you write down? Well, you'd write down there was this guy, John, and he had this sort of prophetic qualities. He was one of, one of these people act like a prophet, and he kept teaching people about changing their life, but all along the way he was saying, there's someone else who's coming, and as many of you are gathered here to participate in this, I want to tell you, this is not the end of the game. This is just an invitation to the party. There's somebody else coming who's more powerful than I, who's more powerful to change than I am, who's going to touch your life in ways that's never been touched before. There's someone who's coming more powerful than I, greater than I. And then, if you're a reporter by the side of the river, you're going to say, and then along came Jesus of Nazareth, and this guy in the river, he pointed to him and said, that's him. That's the one. But this guy, he didn't make John sort of stop and come and follow. What he did was he came out into the river and and he knelt down and he was baptized by John. That's the surprising agenda. That's the life of Jesus. And this Jesus, we heard him say, let's do this to fulfill all righteousness. Well, what does that mean? Well, Jesus, that means whoever he is, he thinks, he thinks of himself as someone who's there to do something cosmic, something divine, something that's going to change everything to fulfill all righteousness. Well, if you're a reporter on the scene, that's what you'd write down. That's it's the life of Jesus. But then something pretty odd happens next, right? Verse 16. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Friends, as we go along, and if you're reading along the stories of the life of Jesus, from time to time some really weird things happen. Are you with me? From time to time, you're reading along, it's like, okay, I can understand that. There's a guy in the river, he's doing baptism, whatever. And then, and now, well, now they're saying some really weird stuff happened. And as a skeptic, if you're a skeptic, you have to just, this is the place where you kind of, you just drives you crazy. Like, why does that have to be in there? You know, I'm reading along and it all makes sense. And I'm learning a little bit about Jesus and all this, what he, what he taught. And then, and then what is, what do I have to do with that? I have to ask myself, can I accept an event like that in the universe that, that I know? But here's what I want you to think about. If you're a skeptic this morning or if you're in conversations with skeptics, when these things come along that sound so odd, so different, so out of the ordinary, I want you to ask this question. Does the author, does the gospel writer seem to understand what's going on? Or are they just reporting it? Are you with me? Do they seem to get it? Does Matthew have any idea 
what this means. I think if you ask yourself that question, time and again, the answer is going to be no. Because if Matthew understood what was going on right there, you would, this would go on for 10 pages, you know, of Old Testament citations and, and, uh, and theological implications and color commentary about what all this means. But that's not what happens. The gospel writer comes along, says, well, then Jesus walked out there and he got baptized by John and then some weird stuff went down. I mean, you know, the heaven like popped open. I can't describe it. And there was uh, the spirit of God. It's like a dove. And there was a voice. Well, and then they got up and they went off and did the other thing, you know, because I don't have any idea what to tell you about that. All I can do is, is report it. Just allow that, you know. Just allow, just think about that. If you were right, if you were making this up, you would, you would color all that in. But the gospel writers, they didn't. They just said, then this weird thing happened. That's the life of Jesus. He turned up at the site where John the Baptist was at work baptizing people. He got baptized, and then some really weird stuff went down. And then he went on with their ministry. Well, what more can we say this morning? Jesus came to John. I want to go back to that. Jesus came to John. Where are you struggling to to make your agenda work? Where are you striving to make your philosophy pay off? Where Where are you working to make it all fit for you? Jesus comes to you. And when Jesus comes to you, he changes the agenda. He brings his own plan. We want God to bless our agendas. Like the Sadducees, God help us cooperate, pacify us. The Pharisees, God help us to resist, liberate us. The Zealots, God help us to fight, empower us. The Essenes, God help us to stay separate, purify us. But God comes with his own agenda, and when Jesus comes to you, he says, now I'm here to save. Will you be saved? And how does Jesus begin this surprising saving agenda? Well, he says, I'm here to save you. And his first step, the very first thing that Jesus does, is he takes the lowest position he can find. He descends. He kneels down into the waters of baptism. Of all the miracles of Jesus, friend, what you're looking at here is the miracle of divine humility that God bends low. And what does he say? He says, John, John, let's do this now to fulfill all righteousness. Let's do this together to fulfill all righteousness. It's an intimate moment. If you imagine that river, them standing out in the middle of this river and John trembling to see this man before him. And Jesus says, let's do it. Let's do it. And he says, let's do it. Let us do it. It's necessary for us to do it. Jesus includes John. He says, let's do it together to fulfill all righteousness. John, do this with me. Jesus, who alone has all power, all authority, who is alone the Almighty One. Jesus never intends to go it alone. He includes John. But in including John, it's this, it's this surprising agenda, the surprising mission of Jesus. John saw no sin in Jesus needing forgiveness, no stain on his soul that needed a wash. But Jesus, in his first act of ministry, he kneels down. And he associates himself 
with our need to be washed. See, Jesus didn't have any sins that needed to be washed off. John was out there offering a restart for those who knew their sins were damaging their life. You can turn a different direction. Jesus had no sin. Jesus had no stain. But he knelt down. And he took, in his kneeling down, he took our position of need. He associated himself with our need to be baptized. Jesus didn't kneel down because he needed to be baptized. He knelt down because we need to be baptized. And the waters didn't purify him. He purified the waters. In the surprising agenda of Jesus, he put himself in our place. You see. And what does he say? He says, he says John, let's do this to fulfill all righteousness. Now when Jesus uh, says that he's going to do this to fulfill all righteousness, he's not just talking about the baptism. Jesus associated baptism with death. Now we know this from his later teaching. In, uh, in Mark chapter 10, there are two of his followers, James and John, who come up to him and say, Jesus, I bet when you finish all this, you're going to be sitting in a pretty nice place, right? Well, uh, James and I, we were talking and we figured there might be a couple extra seats, you know, nearby you. And I said, don't ask him that. But James said, no, ask him. You know, you never know. <laughs> so we just thought we'd ask, you know, just throwing it out there. When you are seated in glory, could uh, we uh, sit with you in that seat of glory? And Jesus says, he's so patient with them. He says, that's not mine to determine. But he asked them, are you really ready? to drink the cup I'm going to drink? Are you really ready to be baptized with the baptism that I'm going to be baptized with? And here's what they said, James and John, Mark chapter 10. They said, you bet. Sure, we can. And Jesus answered, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. And friends, what's Jesus saying? He's saying, you're going to suffer and die just like I suffered and died. That's what the world's going to do to you. Jesus associated baptism with suffering and death. He associated baptism with his death. What am I getting at? This is it. In the surprising mission of Jesus, the surprising agenda of Jesus, whenever Jesus says to John, John, let's do this, let's do this to fulfill all righteousness, he's not just talking about the baptism in that moment. Jesus is talking about his mission. What fulfills all righteousness? The mission of God, to send Jesus his son, to come down from heaven and to take on flesh, to be one with us and to associate himself with us in our need to be washed and cleansed and redeemed and restored. And Jesus associates himself with us in that need, so much so that he takes to himself all of our sins, all of our stain, all of our shame, all of the things that mean that we need to be baptized and washed and redeemed. Jesus takes all that on himself. And not only does he take it on himself in baptism, but he carries it to the cross. He carries it to the right end of sin. Friends, sin always draws blood. And Jesus, he takes that sin all the way to the cross and he dies for it. When he says, let's do this to fulfill all righteousness, it's a mission. He's come to take our sin and to die on the cross and to go all the way to down into death. But look at this, friends. When he goes down, he bounces right back up. Look at this, verse 16. As soon as Jesus was baptized, what happened? Say it with me. He went up out of the water. 
As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up. As soon as Jesus went down into baptism, as soon as he went down into death, as soon as he went down into the grave, he came back up. It's like a basketball that you're trying to hold under the water in the pool. And it just goes, whoosh. You can't hold it down there. You can't hold Jesus under death. You can't hold him under the grave because he, he rises. He rises. And when he rises, friend, three signs unfold. The heavens are opened. The Spirit of God descends. And the Father declares his abiding love. What I want you to hear this morning is this. Those three signs given to Jesus at his baptism. Those three signs are still given. Those three gifts are still bestowed on any who will follow him and call on him by faith. As the praise band comes out and we we come to a close here, these three gifts of God the Father. Why did Jesus come? He said, John, let's do this, you and I, to fulfill all righteousness. And John, we can relate with John, can't we? says, Jesus, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy to do this with you. I'm not worthy to stand out here with you. I'm not, I'm not worthy to carry your dog on shoes. Jesus says, John, let's do this. Let's do it together. Let me kneel down. You, you bend up. You bend down. You pick up the water. And you pour it over my hole. Let's do this together to fulfill all righteousness. Because if you'll follow with me, John, If you walk with me, John. John, you've offered a chance to change. I'm going to offer a chance to be reborn. You've offered a chance to restart. I'm going to offer a chance for new life. Once Jesus fulfills all righteousness, once he takes on our sin, dies on the cross, goes down to the grave and rises again, he opens up. He opens up forgiveness. Hey, John, I know you don't feel worthy. Let's do this. Let's do this. Let's write this story. Let's fulfill all righteousness because all who follow in my name, to them the heavens will be opened, the Spirit will descend, and the abiding love of the Father will be spoken over them for eternal life. Lord, give us courage. We thank you for the beauty of that river and the beauty of that moment of you kneeling down and receiving the water of baptism, Lord, not because you needed to be washed, but because we did. I pray for every one of us here, Lord. We know the stains. We know the shame. Help us, Lord, to believe in your grace and to allow you to come by your saving agenda to surprise us with love and to fulfill all righteousness to the glory of your holy name. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the First Prez Podcast. If you would like more information, you may visit our website at firstprezcos.org.